misunderstand Take your heart in your hands and do the best that you can Understand, overstand, misunderstand With so many struggles at hand, where do I stand? Understand, overstand, misunderstand Welcome back to the fantastic blackness Pirate Radio Station. This is broadcast number 715A in our intermittent interstellar conversation about all things black and fantastic. Which is to say all things black as outer space, inner space, and the spaces in between. We have a special episode today, two decades. Two decades? (laughs) Two decades in the making. (laughs) Oh, God. We're old. <laughs> <laughs> We're only, only, only as old as we That's right. Um, Shante, how you doing? I'm doing, you know, pretty well. Uh, no complaints, I think. Just trying to get through uh, this apocalyptic period, <laughs> this unfolding, uh, with as much of my sanity in, and health intact. How about how about you? Um, yeah, I will go with, um, sanity and health amidst an apocalypse. That sounds just about right. Um, and, um, one of the things that we have to help us get through the insane apocalyptic situation that we're in is this amazing, uh, new book that you have coming out. How are you feeling about the book coming out into the world? Ah, wow. Yeah, I actually feel really, really good about it. I um, I was, you know, recently rereading through it uh, just a, a couple of months ago or a month and a half ago to do the final proofs. And I thought, you know, this is pretty fucking good. <laughs> so I think I'm I'm really happy with the with the final product. You know, there are always things that one misses or can't do but i think for a first book project it's really i think quite um stunning i think in a lot of ways if i can say that about my own book and um i think it does a lot of uh good work that's never been done there were a couple of things you know there are a couple there's always these things that you miss you thought oh why did i include that but uh overall i'm i'm really really happy with um what i did and also when it's coming out, I, I think this is a really good time for a book like this to be coming out when um, I think people are really interested in um, um, art and aesthetics in a different kind of way, in a more mainstream way. And, 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 and they're interested in writing about, about hip hop. So yeah, I feel, I feel and really, really happy. Queer hip hop is like blowing up and in, in yeah. You know, a different way than yes. You know, anyone ever would have thought possible. Maybe even like four years ago, Lella, yes. You know, when um, I mean, you didn't start researching this project in the seventies, <laughs> but it goes back to the seventies, right? You yes. know, and yes. um, as the um, back of the book blurbs from the likes of Alexander Wehelie are pointing out, you know, you're offering your readers, or you will be offering your readers, this like you know, genealogy of hip hop that might rock their world a little bit. Right. You know, and, you know <laughs> yeah. yeah, this would be a big deal on any podcast and no yes. doubt it will be on many other podcasts in particular, when we get closer to the re- release date. Yes. But I thought, which that is, uh, have... which is June 28th. Um, June wow. 28th. Oh, okay. So it's a summer release. Okay. So yes. be a summer release. You heard June it here 28th. first. Uh, uh, June 28th hip-hop. on nyupress.org. Hip Hop Heresies, Queer Aesthetics in New York City is the name of the book. Yes, yes. All right, all right. Um, With a cover by? Uh, The amazing artist Quirky out of Baltimore. Um, And he is an artist I found through some connections on Instagram, um, black, uh, black, black art Instagram. I follow a lot of black artists on Instagram. Some people I know they're friends and some people I know of, and then some artists I don't know. And, um, uh, he was gracious enough to let us use his amazing, um, uh, bust called man in gold. And it's so perfect and it's so gorgeous. And, um, I'm hoping that he also will be, part of some of the conversations I'll be having. I really want people to buy his art and uh, follow him on Instagram and, and go to his shows. So I'm, I'm, it could, it's a really perfect uh, uh, image you can see on either my Instagram, Shante Paradigm or my website or um, Quirky Q-R-C-K-Y um, on Instagram and other platforms. 
So I want to start by interviewing you, Shante, about what does it mean for this book uh, to be coming out now? And what does it, you know, mean for us, the two of us at Fantastic Blackness? How, and specifically, how are you feeling about merging your, do you say scholar or academic? Uh, I, I, you know what? I interchange those two, although I think they're not interchangeable, but I, yeah, I, know, I, I, That's why I, <laughs> I think, I think Scott, I would say scholarly in this, in this sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like how do you feel or how are you, yeah, how are you feeling about, you know, combining your scholarly persona, um, in this book at NYU press with like the public figure that you've crafted over the decades in black queer hip hop. And of course, uh, beyond? Well, I think in a lot of ways, it's a full circle because I, um, even when I was making music full-time or close to full-time or trying to make music full-time, I was always really interested in the kind of theoretical um, backdroppings of what I was doing. I was always interested in what hip hop was saying in the kind of metaverse before that got took, taken over by uh-huh. <laughs> Facebook, um, but the Can kind you of down the, a little bit into theory. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but like since I think some re- some listeners might be thinking, "Oh, music theory." That's not what you mean. You mean a different kind of theory when you say right, like, yeah. cultural theory. Okay, um, yeah. Some some you know uh, like ethnomusicology. Ethnomusicology, um, okay. <laughs> you know aesthetics. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but like who are you like, reading theoretically? Like in terms of you know, oh, this is a person who's helping me articulate what you know, my music means. I think then, frankly, it was a lot of Black feminist um, writers from the 70s and 80s who were often Mm -hmm. poets or sometimes painters. So people like Uh, Audre Lorde and Pat Parker or people who were like novelists. So I was thinking, or and they, that also led me to people like Marlon Riggs. So I was uh-huh. always thinking about these artists, black artists, many of them black queer artists, black feminist artists who were um, putting out art that um, was like really making an intervention. So those were my real theoretical interlocutors or, or heroes even. I was like, oh, what would it be like to make hip hop that the kind of hip hop that I always liked, I mean, I like all kinds of hip hop, but growing up, the kinds of political hip hop I liked, like, you know, Paris, who was out of San Francisco, who was really radical. And um, of course, um, you know, Poor Righteous Teachers, Latifa, Public Enemy. Conscious, um, conscious. Uh, yeah, conscious. this sort of conscious hip hop um, that was also fun. And, but that was powerful, that felt powerful. And I was always inspired by that. And, mm-hmm. you know, that my artistic work, you know, and before I was always making music, um, I come from a family of music makers, um, but I was also doing a lot of acting as like a, in high school, middle school, high school and college. And then I just decided to focus on music, honestly, because in New York City at that time, it was easier and cheaper and more profitable to make music. Um, right. and, and, and theater, which is what I was doing, was a lot harder, especially as someone who was writing for the theater and trying to act. I thought, you know, let's just do music. There are a lot of open mics. I would go to New Eureka and perform. I had mm-hmm. a little uh, a poetry music group and we did we put on shows at different places, the kitchen and various spots. So in the early 2000s, everything felt really, really, really possible. Um, mm-hmm. And that making music making and combined with reading um, and watching and listening to a lot of experimental hip hop and theater and performance um, in New York City and other places like in in the Bay Area, um, I got really curious about, that led me to wanna do more, uh, a deep dive study, go back to school to think about, I was like, you know, I need to go to school to help me think about hip hop in the way that I wanna think about hip hop. Um, And I knew a couple of people at the time uh, who were in PhD programs and they were hip hop artists. And so they encouraged me to look at graduate. Who are some of those programs. people? Well, some of the people are uh, 
Tim and West um, okay. from actually they were they were they were almost all people from Deep Deep Collect, Collective Collective. Uh-huh. Um, Philip Atiba Goff, who finished his PhD program, is a professor now somewhere, maybe I don't know Princeton or something, or maybe he went to Princeton. So mm-hmm. there were a handful of people who were saying like, oh, you know, I'm I'm mixing scholarship and um, and music, and yeah, there's there's a place for you. So. Right. Um, that, so it was like, this book is like a full circle of that, that moment where I was performing and was like, I want to know more about, uh, how to talk about this work to a broader audience, more in, in a theoretical way, in a like cultural theory or uh, cultural history, uh, social theory, critical theory. And, you know, um, but it was the, was my art that led me, um, you know, because art of course is a, a theorization. It's a, it's a worldview. It's a way of thinking about the world and, and reflect and showing people um, or, you know, telling people, this is, you know, this is how I'm interpreting my experience or the experience of, that I'm having in the world. Um, I want to get into that idea, which is something that I think, you know, we share, you know, I mm-hmm. wrote my undergraduate thesis on like the Vogue balls, you know, and my yes. thesis such as it was <laughs> circa, you know, me being 18 years old were, Hey guys, this is an art form. <laughs> this is art. Did you hear me? Art. art. No, we are making art here. Get it together. Um, but um, you know, and 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 you know, I think now this is, you know, that that uh, that barrier has crumbled in many mm. in many fantastic ways in the last, you know, even 10, you know, 10 years, certainly, but maybe even the last five, maybe in the last two, you know, in terms of really, really allowing a broad range of black, you know, I would call, I would have called a cultural production in the nineties. Yeah. That's right. To be considered art, right. And aesthetics. Mm -hmm. Um, Only very few people got in through the gate, you know, uh, back in the day, but now, now, now it's a different story, but Taking a deep dive into um, really the '90s hip hop underground, mm. uh, which is you know, and I've been doing that in, in preparation for our um, our recording today, and I'm realizing actually that you know we probably do need a couple playlists on you mm-hmm. know a commercial platform like Spotify or something, just because like these. Well, actually, part of the problem is actually a lot of this work is not on Spotify or it's not easy yes. to find on Spotify, right? Yes. yes. Um, but like, you know, I'm taking a dive and, you know, it's like a space that, you know, to be honest, I can't claim fully as my own. You know, I was mm. really more of a sip and twirl queen in my early <laughs> And, um, you know, I knew the highlights of hip hop, right? You know, I knew Eric yeah. I knew Lauren Hill, I knew Missy, yeah. Mr. Elliott, you know, I yeah. knew... Um, and um, the scene that you came up in that you were kind of like describing, you know, a little bit to here. And then also, you know, when you organized Peace Out, um, Peace Out East, Peace Out West, it almost made me think, you know, this is just like as important to Black Gen X or like Gen X hip hop heads as Riot Girl. Uh-huh. No, mm. like white Gen Xs, you know, I wonder if you would like think about that kind of comparison, right? Because... Yeah. Um, you know, Riot Girl has really been, you know, retrospectively documented and and, and kind of yes. lionized and like thought about and reissued, et cetera. It, you know, vis-a-vis the kind of indie rock kind of. But right. I don't know if the same thing has really been the case with artists like Jean Grey, for instance, to whom you devote a chapter. Yeah. In the book. yeah. <sighs> well, I mean, one, that's a great comparison to think about. Um, you know, this sort of, that era of hip hop, which was sort of post golden age of hip hop, but there was such um, great experimentation going on in terms of like queer hip hop artists, in terms of, um, you know, people who weren't necessarily the initial or the face that came up. So people like Jean Grey, one of my students, um, they had the grad, uh, we had the grad English conference a couple days ago. And she said Ursula Rucker's name. And I was like, whoa, you know, and I'm like, how, I'm like, this is awesome. A 19 year old or 20 year old knows who Ursula Rucker. So people like that. And how are they Muhammad finding D- out about her? Um, they're in the slam and poetry community. So I think there, there's a lot more okay. kind of honoring and keeping alive those, 
those kind of folks who are still around, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. um, who, who dipped in and out of the mainstream, but are still obviously around in performance circles. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Bahamadia. And I actually was thinking about this, this is a great Bahamadia. question. Right. Bahamadia. I was thinking about this the other day, how, you know, Jean Grey stopped making music or retired from music, like permanently in 2017. Um, and has, you know, her catalog is, is on, uh, I think all her full catalogs on Bandcamp, And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's doing a lot of other cooking shows and, you know, has done comic collaborations and is doing a lot of other things because of the, you know, uh, things that she's documented her whole career, the, 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 the kind of horrible intricacies of the music industry. And I think, you know, one of the things about Riot Girl, where there is a crossover with some of queer hip hop and even other uh, indie scenes and hip hop is they were actually, some of them were on the same labels. So some of those hip hop artists and queer hip hop artists have been somewhat lionized, like in some ways Deep Dick Collective has because they were on like, um, you know, some queer core and punk core record labels. Um, And there have been some, there have been some documentaries. So Pick Up the Mic is probably the most famous, um, which came out in 2005, which documents a kind of, you know, um, US based with some, you know, Canadian and people from the UK and other pla- other places in Western Europe, queer hip hop scene. Um, but in terms of the music itself, yeah, like some folks are still making music, Jen Rowe, um, other folks. And it's like, where do I find them? Where is a place? Uh, I hope this book can be kind of a prompt for people to get um, their music or people be asked to put their music in some of these archives like at Cornell or, or the universal hip hop museum or Harvard or the mixtape museum, because I think that, you know, a book of course has a different life than uh, a book put out by a press, particularly an academic press is going to have a different life than like an indie album. And so if my book can be a way for people to like have, it can be like a springboard for artists to be invited into conversations, for them to perform, for their works to be um, analyzed and written about. I think that's in some ways what a one thing that's important about the, or one thing I feel that could be helpful with my book is that it it stirs up interest in some of these artists who are still alive or who are still making music or who have a lot of knowledge, um, who had long, long careers um, in the music industry as, you know, as indie artists who could be, who are sort of like, you know, a Kathleen Hanna. And um, so I, I, I'm really interested to see what happens. And I know the last couple of years, um, there are, you know, a few books coming out around queerness or sometimes gayness and hip hop. Um, so I'm really interested to see how that also, if, if that, reshapes uh, a conversation. So um, I, I did get an, inv- I can't say much about it yet, but I did get an invite from a major um, global media conglomerate to, <laughs> to be in a, uh, to be in a uh, documentary for a uh, famous, pretty famous queer hip artist who's performing right now. So um, we'll, we'll see what that, uh, we'll be recording that in, the, in May. So we'll see, you know, I'm really interested to see how the um, the broader industry is taking note now, I think, of these artists where mm-hmm. um, when I was making music, even, you know, this was not long, this was in the early mid 2000s, people were still really human interest stories. The closest yeah. was really, we really got was, um, I remember MTV was trying to do a show with some of us um, where it was gonna be a, um, a like a reality show with like or hip I don't know if it was gonna be hip hop people or queer hip hop people. I and think I, I remember this. Yeah, and I said no, thank you. Like I don't want to. I do remember that. this. They were but, gonna uh, do America's yeah, hip hop stuff. Yeah, and they did. They did end up doing that where they had a um, queer hip hop artist on mm. on some of the current shows. Yeah. Um, but uh, but there's now an industry for that because of the streaming services. So, you know, Netflix and um, VH1 and all these different platforms have both scripted shows. They have narrative shows, they have documentaries, they have reality shows. Um, and, and, and queer music or like LGBTQ clubs, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, like this kind of like yeah. 
that's been, you know, that's been the transformation of sort of like streaming services and yes, what have you. So there ought to be, you know, new pathways to sort of audiences to sort of kind of hear what has come before, but in many cases, because work didn't get a commercial release or wasn't intended, you know, it was underground. Right. I mean, even this idea right. of like what indie, um, what kind of like indie or underground um, music meant is somewhat like lost, you know, on the, it, you know. It is. I want to switch a little bit because like, you know, one thing, you know, about your, about your book that we should say, you know, is that, you know, for those, you, you know, um, since I've read it, <laughs> is that, yeah. um, you know, that, you know, those who are coming to it, you know, you, you're not, you're not offering an encyclopedia of, you know, right. or like a comprehensive history, but you are taking, I don't know what you call them, flashpoints, you know, yes. and like, you yes. know, deep dives into, you know, things that might actually surprise people and making an argument about how we think about the history of hip hop, which I think is really interesting um, and original, like for instance, you know, figures like Martin Wong, you talk about yeah. the um, Asian American painter, um, yeah. Martin Wong and his relationship to, you know, the New York Cafe and to early stirrings of hip hop. Um, yeah. Could you say more about how you came uh, to writing about Martin Wong and then um, maybe a little bit more, familiar to people in the hip hop canon, but still from a relationship of queerness, you write about um, The Last Dragon. Yeah. And, um, Barry Gordy's film, The Last Dragon. Yeah. Um, well, the Martin Wong story is always one of my favorite to tell because I discovered, I discovered, I encountered Martin Wong in a class I took with you, which was when I was a PhD student, which was uh, the archive class that you taught. Right. And we were actually in the archives at NYU's Bobst Library in the mm -hmm. Downtown Arts Archives. Yeah. And I was really drawn to the Downtown Arts Archives and I um, kind of went through it and saw this figure, Martin Wong, and quickly realized he was entangled and very important in the, both the downtown art scene in New York in the 90s, really, the, sorry, the 70s through the 90s. Mm -hmm. um, and and also the graffiti scene. Right. So he was friends with um, Charlie Ahern, who wrote uh, and directed, who directed- um, Wild Style. The, Wild Style, the first, uh, you know, uh, narrative hip hop film. There was Style Wars, which is a documentary that came out the same year or year before. And I saw he had all these, um, he had all of these black books of artists who had died. He had all these, the correspondence between people like, Dondi and Lady Pink and Sharp, who were really important um, uh, uh, graffiti artists and who are now, you know, uh, visual artists uh, who are still working as visual artists um, and and doing graffiti sort of more in the art world or for advertising. And um, do you have any correspondence with um, Basquiat? Uh, they were definitely in the same circles because. Mm -hmm. um, they were both in the, I don't remember him having actual letters that were in his archives, but they definitely knew each other, um, both from graffiti work and from uh, gallery work. Um, mm. And so he, I thought, who is this person and how do I not know about him? Um, you know, coming from someone who spent a lot of time at the New York, New York Poets Cafe, who knows a lot about Afro-Asian history in the US, particularly where it intersects with hip hop. And also as someone, you know, who like fairly knows a, a bit about the downtown art scene in New York. And so I was pleasantly surprised to learn about this person buried, <laughs> you know, kind mm -hmm. of in the archive. And what I realized at the time there were, there was one, maybe two books about him, um, but they weren't really making the connection between him and the hip hop scene. And as I did more research on him, there was a lot of interest and there still is a lot of interest about Martin Wong's relationship to Latinidad, but not so much to his relationship to blackness. So I talk a lot about that um, because it's not just Latinidad, it's Afro-Latinidad. And it's, it's a lot of his painting, the black, these are brown, dark skinned, what you would call black people without knowing their ethnicity, right? And so, um, and he was really influential as a curator and as a mentor and, um, I thought, oh, wow, here's someone you would not expect, like a gay Chinese American man 
from a San Francisco transplant to be uh, so influential in hip hop graffiti and in um, and in that and in, in encouraging people and giving people a career and helping them, you know, grease the wheels of that. So I was really drawn to that. And, and it, it, it kind of underscored for me a point I think I've been trying to make when I was performing as a queer hip hop artist, which is we're not anomalies. Hmm. We may not know our history, right? We may, may not have the names, but they're there. They're, we have forebearers. And I think that um, there is a disconnect, you know, I mean, art, uh, sorry, pop culture and, you know, in, in the U.S. is, is always um, interested in finding the exceptional people, but all these people build on, yeah. especially queer, queer folks, we study our history, Mm-hmm. Where people study, we find, we, you know, we find whatever it was, the well of loneliness or, you know, <laughs> a John, a John Waters film or, you know, like uh-huh. all those things are, oh, yeah, all those things are like in me, you know, oh, or whether it's like, yeah, like <laughs> whether it's, you know, rumors, okay, like Langston Hughes then becomes like your favorite poet, you know, so like queer, mm-hmm. queer kids, we really seek out. Um, things that are either queer or as you know, the late Jose Esteban Munoz talks about things that we can, that feel queer to us, right? That, that even mm-hmm. though they aren't specifically queer, we, we are, we see ourselves, we, you know, we disidentify and we turn them into something that is actually sustainable and sustaining for us. So you say that was the case for you about uh, The Last Dragon? Yeah, I don't, you know, <laughs> there was something about Leroy <laughs> that I always, um, you know, I saw The Last Dragon is one of the first films I remember seeing in the theater. It wasn't the first film, but maybe it was one of those that I saw like without my parents. Maybe it was like I saw it with my older brother or something. And I felt like Leroy, um, you know, Timex character felt like someone who I wanted to be. Because he was, I was very, very at that age and for a long time, um, very into imagining myself as like in the like, I don't know, Chin Dynasty, <laughs> like as I'm like wandering around, wandering around the countryside, you know, fighting, you know, doing martial arts. And so when I saw that imagination, I had talked to the director and screen, or the sorry, the screenwriter, Louis Manesta, about this. And he said, you know, this was like what he grew up imagining himself as. And the kids that he grew up in Harlem also kind of imagined themselves as that. Um, but then if you also look at like, you know, historical accounts of people in Harlem in the 70s, people were literally walking around like pre-Chinese culture revolution and pre-Chinese cultural revolution outfits because they were reading like Mao. So there was like, there was the fantasy of drive-in theater that we would watch on Saturdays and, you know, then go out and practice the Shaw Brothers films. But there were also people kind of enacting this uh, Maoist uh, fantasy on on the streets, adults. Um, So, yeah. And there is, you know, quiet as it's kept, you know, a real social basis of the dojo in the hood. The dojo, absolutely. That was the other thing. All the... There are even particular um, there are even particular martial arts lineages that are like black, like Shotokan in uh, mm-hmm. in Japan karate is like black and brown people. Right. And I I had trained in Oyama where there were no, and I was like, where where how do I get to those people? So I was like <laughs> Shotokan um, because the brothers who came over from Japan went to kind of different ways with where they wanted to teach, or even why Bruce Lee is such a uh, an icon in black communities because he taught black students when other martial arts masters from China in particular refused to teach black mm. folks. So there are all these routes and routes of really? connection that, wow. yeah, that, that aren't just fantastical, but that are actually material as you're saying. Um, yeah. And then there's also the fantastical aspect. So I think there, so Tymac, um, that character really fascinated me and I thought, oh, I could grow up to be like this, you know, naive martial arts boy. And, um, and you know, I came back to it thinking about sort of the flip side of Martin Wong in some ways, like who is the, who is this kind of queered character? His masculine, he's a martial arts master, but he's not, he's different than like a, 
then uh like a uh, uh, a um you know the black exploitation mask black black masculinity that you see in black exploitation or that you see in some of the films where um you know black men are martial arts masters so i i wanted to think about like he's this oddity um in that genre yeah and then sticking with the space oddity theme you know then we have a you know a rapper like gene gray who takes her name from uh you know actual mutant with the power to destroy all yeah. uh, planet. <laughs> yeah what was that about yeah, Jean Grey, um, named herself after Jean Grey. I, you know, I think... The Dark Phoenix, um, for those of us who the, don't know what we're talking about. Jean we, Grey, uh, X-Men, yeah, no, X-Men. No, no one on our list, everyone in our list knows who we're talking about. <laughs> you have to know about and the X-Men. if you X-Men, don't know, now please. you know. <laughs> now you know. If you don't know, now you know. So, um, yeah, you know, Jean Grey is, I pro- you know, whenever people ask me my favorite rapper is my favorite MC, I mean, you know, of course, it's like, Jay-Z, but Jean Grey has always been in my top five, maybe in my top three. And, you know, I, I've met her a couple of times. I, I saw her, um, I described this in the book at a really small, weird concert that was like for uh, uh, raising money with uh, the Anomalies, the all-female, well, it was at one point, hip-hop group. Um, and they were like really amazing MCs and DJs and dancers, and they represented all the elements. And Jean Grey, that was the first time, this was like 2000, I don't know, two or three. And I heard Jean Grey and I was like blown away. And I've you know been, I've been following her career ever since then. And one of the things I really have always liked about Jean, you know, Jean Grey is definitely an iconoclast. And is, um, you know, one of the things I forgot to mention in the book, which I can't believe is that Jean Grey grew up in the, the Chelsea Hotel. And just seeing all those famous people in the wild people in the 80s and the 90s, I can't even imagine. Although she eventually, you know, she was born in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, Her parents are artists, South African artists, but grew up in the the Chelsea Hotel, you know, moved to Brooklyn later. And I think what she must have seen, the people she must have encountered. And so here's a, sometimes people think of hip hop the origin story, you know, the real thing about this book is like kind of exploiting the origin story a little bit and yeah. thinking about how an, how an artist like Jean Grey growing up in the Chelsea hotel has a different origin story and therefore is going to be a different kind of rapper, right? It's going to have, it's going to talk about um, really, it's going to talk about um, a lot of inner life stuff, but also it's going to talk about, it's going to go to place you know, talk about uh you know, school shootings, and it's going to talk about alcoholism, and it's going to talk about abortions, and it's going to talk about, you know, um, violence and misogyny, but in ways that aren't didactic, in ways that are almost cinematic. Um, Very cinematic rapper, you know, creates these stories that are so visual. And so I think that I was interested, and her sense of humor is uh, amazing. And so, you know, even... um, you know, her first name was what, what, and then people <laughs> didn't really get that. And I think very briefly, she called herself something like the Easter Bunny. <laughs> and, um, you know, she's, um, she like does cooking shows and she does, uh, she's done um, uh, columns and, you know, for magazines. And I just, I just, she has like, she and her husband, Quelchris have done like R&B stuff. They've collaborated. And so I think that, um someone like her i was also shocked that more people weren't writing about her particularly with the explosion of hip-hop feminism people really stayed away from jean gray i don't know why i've gotten various answers people were like oh i don't you know i don't totally understand her she's unconventional in a way that i don't think i can speak to um but i think a lot of uh hip-hop feminists just didn't feel she was feminist enough and i actually feel like she's just radical in the sense of that she um, doesn't adhere to, um, you know, like certain kinds of standards. She explodes the kind of the box. And so I, you know, she's always someone I thought more people should be talking about, uh, more people should know about. So we will definitely need to create a playlist to go on <laughs> this episode. Um, well, let's take a quick break. And um, we're here with Shante Paradigm Smalls whose book, Hip Hop Heresies, is forthcoming this summer from NYU Press. 
and who is helping us all celebrate spring in New York City with a roundtable on the topics that we've been talking about at the Park Avenue Armory this uh, coming May 15th. We'll be right back. Shantae Paradigm Smalls, and I'm Tavia Nyong'o, and I have a cold. Um, <laughs> so we both we both have colds. We both have colds, so that probably makes us have you know great gravitas in the way we speak about hip hop. Youth and advertising. I am your host at the Armory this May, so um, the fix is in. But you know, to be honest, it's such a privilege to have you as one of the very first scholars, um, along with uh, Saidia Hartman and Amy Meredith Cox and uh, being the digital griot <laughs> who was um, with us in February, many, many other excellent yes. artists um, as well, um, but to have you join the public program. And um, as part of the Hip Hop Cypher, with um, uh, the um, Black Healing Portal being uh, organized mm. by our dear friends, Crudex Kabenzi uh, from uh, most proximately California, but ultimately uh, Afro-Cuban um, uh, legends of the queer yes. vegan feminist underground. Um, and in putting together this event, I wanted to talk a little bit about the panel that you are, um, you know, that you're that you're that you're putting, you know, uh, that you're putting together and 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 I'm seeing or you know moderating and um, not to throw shade on any of the amazing people at the Armory who are supporting this work, but sometimes I feel that the very idea of hip hop as an intellectual conversation is missed for reasons yeah. of anti blackness, right? You know yeah. that. When I am communicating, you know, about what this event is, everyone understands, it's much easier to understand it as a concert, which it is, or a festival, you know, mm -hmm. than, you know, the part of it that you are uh, putting together, right? And I, so I wanted you to, mm -hmm. um, you know, just talk a little bit about what you um, are imagining a little sneak peek, if you will, <laughs> or um, for this roundtable, you know, the book is not yet out, but I believe the participants will actually have at least, you know, a sample of some of the work that you're doing. And it's everyone from people that you've long been in dialogue with and, you know, kind of stalwarts of the queer hip hop, you know, say journalistic scene, someone like Scott Paulson Bryant, who was... Yeah. Um, founding co-editor of Vibe Magazine, who's now who's now an academic, uh, Tim M. West, who you mentioned earlier, yeah. uh, Nia Witherspoon, and um, uh, young up-and-coming yes. uh, performer Miss Boogie. So yeah. you put together quite, you know, a mix. Um, yeah. What do you yeah. think that we're going to talk about? <laughs> I think we're going to talk about, um, you know, actually it's really interesting to think about um, this as, uh, you know, hip hop as an intellectual, people having a hard time with that, maybe people outside of hip hop or outside of certain performance genres, because personally I grew up listening. To, uh, one of the things about hip hop is you love when like the hip hop artist comes on the radio show or, you know, all the podcasts dedicated to hip hop or all yes. the radio, all the old school radio shows, you know, Jay Smooth has been doing it for, I don't know, 25 years, right? And it's um, all about the radio, right? Yeah, it's all about radio and understanding like that uh, or the shows that used to be when they would come on to, uh, what was the show? Not the one on MTV, BET's The Basement, I think. And so the <laughs> artists would perform, but they would also like talk about their, that was the whole thing. And that was also the thing about reading Vibe and the source mm -hmm. was that it was somewhat gossip, but it was also about like, how do you do what you do? And, and the deep dives into the mind of these artists. Like it would never be confusion for people. You go to South by Southwest, 
you know, they're going to be panels, you know, they're going to be artists mm-hmm. on, pan, you know, panels. And so uh, I think if you're in the music industry, you understand that music artists, whether they're singers, rappers, and, en- you know, engineers, uh, uh, producers, you know, A&R people have something to say, um, mm-hmm. have a contribution to talk. They know how to talk about structural things. It may be the music industry, but they know how to make structural analysis. They know how to draw connections. They know music history. Um, and one of the things I thought was really great at the February event with um, Rashad Newsom was when Miss Boogie um, talked us through her, she and her um, producer talked us through the process of making music. They talked about the drum beats and the snares. They talked about why, you know, why they use these chords and not these. Miss Boogie talked about what these lyrics meant and how that fit with the music. And I thought, oh, this is really great for me as a person who makes music and has made music. It's always really interesting to talk with like the sound engineers or the people mixing to think about how do you come together with a concept and how does that concept go from a thought or even words or a sound into a song, into the st- creating a structure. So those, those kinds of conversations are always happening. And in my experience, particularly producing first um, Word Life, which was the precursor to Peace Out East, you know, we were influenced by um, what um, uh, Juba Kalamka would do with Peace Out West in the, in the Bay Area. Um, there was always an aspect of it that was panels, right? Um, so uh, panels with scholars, panels with artists, panels with scholars and artists, panels around health. Um, and the, yeah. the connections around like black health and, and hip hop as one of the vehicles, particularly in the nineties, you know, hip hop was selling condom use, you know what I mean? So, oh, right. uh, yeah. you know, yeah. so like that, that, so I think. Put I think your Jimmy people, hat on. Put your Jimmy hat on, right? And TLC wearing the condoms in their, <laughs> their classes. So I think that, um, I think that, you know, particularly like with this wide range of folks, you know, Scott being in sort of both, the the vibe uh era of things but also writing you know books so like knowing about that the kind of there's a whole subgenre of like hip-hop fiction like by queer men black men that's really mm-hmm. interesting um and then there's a whole uh subgenre of queer hip-hop fiction that you know maybe quote-unquote intellectuals wouldn't read but those things sell out on amazon right and yeah. um the these what, kind of romance novels that you're, you're taking me back but there was yeah. like a there was a a kind of oh i don't know take me so back up <laughs> leave me in the dust but there was yeah there was a uh there was yeah like b-boy a- B- blues b-boy blues b-boy blues yeah <laughs> yeah right. b-boy right. blues um by uh, oh, what's like, his name he's in uh he's in california he's in la now okay um but uh but Looking b-boy blues which i um was uh actually made into a movie okay i'm not gonna get into it because then just jesse smollett made that movie but james O'Hardy was the james earl hardy okay. james O'Hardy. hardy yep yeah. And so I think, you know, that then, good movie with Jesse Smollett. I, think, I think Jesse Smollett directed it. It was actually supposed to be really good. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Free Jesse. But um, but um, I think Jesse. Uh, free Jesse. Wow. Yeah. I mean, but uh, we, uh, oh, my God. Wow. I just looked yeah. It yeah. No, it was supposed to be good. So. Um, and so then, you know, Tim, who, you know, uh, was one of the people who he, he was I think he was in the history of consciousness or something. Maybe it was at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he, I don't think, but he, you know, was making music and now he still also works in a world that's like, he's also a poet. And um, so works in a world that's like around Mm -hmm. health and LGBTQ stuff, youth, Um, Nia Witherspoon. Also, you know, it's interesting artists. So a playwright, um, Mm -hmm. also an academic who I think has left academia. So is doing, is doing art full time. And so Nia also has a lot of, you know, uh, makes music, um, makes amazing plays, um, has taught classes on hip hop feminist theory, and then Miss Boogie, uh, who's a, who's a current a working artist right now, and I think whose album is coming out. And I knew about Miss Boogie um, uh, uh, pre transition, and I knew Miss Boogie's music for a while. And I remember last year hearing one of her um, songs on Spotify with a whole bunch of like with, um, I think there's a song with like Jungle Pussy and some other people. I was like, oh snap, this is good. And I could, I 
sort of could tell by her voice that I was like, oh, I think this is a trans woman. And I saw it was Miss Boogie. And I thought, oh, this is awesome. You know, so when I met her, I was like, oh, I love that song. And, um, you know, I try to follow the I try to follow the kids, the up and coming children and the balls um, in terms of queer hip hop artists, you know, that aren't famous, like uh, um, Leaf or who's now called, I think, Khalif and, um, you know, Cakes yeah. the Killer and, uh, 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 you know, those 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 kind of folks, but who mm. are sort of more sort of like you know, especially ones in New York and who are because of things like the streaming services, both television and music, but also social media. So there is a jump now for people to be like TikTok or Instagram stars in particular. I mean, somewhat YouTube, but it's really like TikTok and Instagram. And so there is a jump. There's a way you can encounter people's music. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and also a lot of people, you can rent equipment now, like make a really high end, you know, or you can shoot it on your iPhone 13 or whatever and make a high end video. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that what people will be surprised is the depth of uh, intelligence and the depth of knowledge and the connections that people make, because um, I say all hip hop artists are scholars in many ways, because um, to me, you know, hip hop music in particular, both, lyrically and sonically is so citational. So the skills that actually producers um, have to have and lyric, people who are real lyricists have to have, even if they're not real lyricists, but the, 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 the memory they have for sounds, for dialogue, for movies and television, um, the referentiality is really, really deep. Um, so there's a lot of interesting work that's been done in this. Uh, there was someone who did Oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's called something like the Hip Hop Lyrics Project, and it I, that wasn't the name, but it was like a it was like a data analyst, like black guy nerd in New York, who would analyze the um, the sort of difficulty level of hip hop lyrics and like put it in this really cool kind of word cloud and data data analyst machine. And there's a lot of really really amazing um, things happening around. Um, oh, it was a hip hop word count, is what it was called. And it's at, it's a word count and it's a, it's on MIT. It's an MIT. <laughs> of course it is. So, course yeah. It is. Right. So that it's something MIT's that sometimes. contribution to the culture. Yeah. It's sometimes. Like, <laughs> yeah. Tamir Hill. I think they like, mm-hmm. they like, he had, he was doing it on his own and it, I think it's housed there, but it's something yeah. I sometimes teach because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times hip hop, particularly like with like the young people now, mm-hmm. um, it's disposable. And I just tell them like, you know, no other group of people treat their music as disposable. Like, like, you know, white kids, when I was growing up, they were listening to the music that their parents, like you were going to know the Rolling Stones. You were going to know Led Zeppelin. You were going to know Eric Clapton, you know, you were going to know, you know, um, you were going to know Joan uh, Armitrade and Joan Baez or whatever. And I think, I think for black people, you know, we know, we know traditional music like or soul music or um, R&B or like, you know, uh, you know, uh, the music of our country, like so like I was, I was listening to this, um, uh, some dance hall and I was like, Oh, this dance hall songs haven't changed in 20 years. And like all the kids uh-huh. don't know them, but hip hop from 20 years. I remember where I worked, they brought Nas, the kids brought Nas and people, people were like, why are you bringing Nas? He's old. I was like, Nasir Jones. Like you don't, I was like, I can't imagine if someone was like, oh, we're going to bring Pearl Jam. People would be like, they're all, you know what I mean? Uh-oh, so yeah. like this the, 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 this, the disposability of hip hop, right? Sometimes that's embedded in anti-blackness. But I've been surprised. A lot, of my, a lot of my students, though, they'll say, I ask them now, are your parents into hip hop? And the ones who say yes, they, their knowledge is amazing. Yeah, they're like they're like my favorite. There are group. the parents who are into hip hop. Yes, and yes, yes. Children, you know, they like, say they oh, say my right. yeah yeah. My brother does this. He has my like eight year old niece listens to Wu Tang. <laughs> She's like Wu Tang. But I have had students say, "Oh yeah, they're twenty years old and they say their favorite group is Tribe Called Quest." They're like, uh-huh. "Yeah, yeah." And so that's you can see the influence. And then other will say, "Well, my parents used to be into hip hop when they were younger, but they don't listen to it anymore." I said, like, "Oh yeah, they the grow out." the grow out stage, you know, like mm-hmm. white parents who grow out of yeah. uh, hip hop, you know? So I do think like, you know, hip hop 
is an, a really intellectual, there's a, there's a lot of conversation. It's a conversation-based art form, whether that's a diss track, right? Whether it's subliminal or explicit, whether that's like, you know, people are constantly talking about their relationships in hip hop. Um, there's a lot of, whether that's battling, whether that's um, bigging up uh, relationships, whether that's narrating um, their experiences. Like Lil Nas X. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so coming to power uh, as a troll. <laughs> coming to, I mean, Lil Nas X trolling is um, like, it's like par excellence. Um, so I do think that there's a, yeah, a lot of uh, uh, assumption that, uh, but you know, the same thing was sort of made, same kind of assumptions were made about the blues and jazz and even, you know, rock, rock and roll before it got taken over by rock music, that it was, there was nothing intelligent, you know, it was all body. Yeah. Right. It was all, yeah. all sensorium, which the sensorium yeah. is great, but part of the I sensorium think the is problem, actually like, thinking. The challenge is just to start to interrupt, but like yeah. they, you know, I mean, we'll get into it, you know, and, and it'd be fun to kind of have a conversation. Right. But sort of to understand the, like everyone and everyone, I mean, it's easy. It's easier today to be like, oh, there's queer hip hop again, you know, because of Lil Nas X, right? You know, right. no one can deny the existence of queer hip hop because of Lil Nas X, right? People who've never heard of, you know, anyone else, right, have heard right. of Lil Nas X, and you know, I'm not mad at that per se, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just that then the question arises, like, so was there this like queer prehistory, you know, like was hip hop queer all along, you know, like the things that you're kind of yes. like open yes. in your book, people literally don't know the first thing, you know, like, don't know, don't know. Just, right. You know, I mean, hip hop heads are right. You know, and certainly yeah. like queer, um, maybe Gen X, but maybe not even Gen X, but like the people that you're in conversation with and the artists, which I think is like a beautiful thing, but there's, um, we're all in these, um, um, well, I guess that's what's sort of interesting and exciting to see is how um, the kind of interpretive community of hip hop responds to mm -hmm. the book. Yes. And, you know, the opportunities that, um, you know, that have, that have kind of always been there to, um, you know, I don't know. Put the homo on hip hop. Sorry, you know. <laughs> 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 yes, I live. Right. I mean, you yeah. know, one of the things that's interesting about this moment for me is that, um, uh, you know, how many hip hop artists, um, and also R and B artists, um, are like, uh, what's the word? They're out without a lot of fanfare. Yes. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, that's really. Frank that's Ocean really interesting. Like yeah. Yeah. That mold, right? That's it's right. Like, that's right. Like, so I'm gay. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> um, um, you know, uh, even Zelia Banks, right? I mean, this, this, as what? troubling <laughs> as troubling as she is, she. As troubling as she I is, mean, she, two on two. Got the party going last night. Oh my god! What I mean? I, mean, <laughs> I was, I was out at the like club last night, and like when two one two came on, she people went out, right? Everybody, yeah. She went, you know, and then you have you know Young Ma as like this, you know, Butch. Um, I mean, this just butch daddy, you know, <laughs> it's just like yeah. so, so great. Um, you know, Chica, like, um, who's like an amazing producer. I hope she's okay. I know she was having some like mental health issues just very recently that she put on the Twitters and, um, you know, Doja Cat, right? So it's yeah. like, these aren't, as well as like the old school folks, like Katie Red, you know, um, I mean, you know, people even claiming like Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B. And so I think that there's a kind of way that like queerness, um, you know, one for like queer rapper to make a splash, it had to, because of misogyny, like racist misogyny, it had to be a dude, right? Um, because, you know, even, you know, Sid the Kid was out before Frank Ocean, but no one really cared, right? 
But, um, you know, Princess Nokia has been out for years. So I think, but I think um, now there's a different kind of, I think like starting with Gen X and through millennials who used to be Gen Y and now Gen Z, you know, we're queer is up and all up and down our generations, you know? Um, I think, you know, Gen X, we really benefited from the hedonism of the gay 70s um, and 80s. But, you know, AIDS really cut that generation. Like, I always imagine what that generation of people who died, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just would have taught us, you know. Um, So, so many of our our gay um, and trans uh, and even lesbians, you know, a lot of lesbians died of cancer. The gay men and uh, trans women died of HIV and AIDS related, you know, complications. So we've really lost that, um, our precursors, like living alongside them. But I think one of the things that, particularly the relationship between Gen X and Gen Z is, I feel like Gen X is a very queer generation. Um, And I feel like Gen Z is as well. And we have, I think, learned from each other in a way that maybe the middle sibling millennials, you know, <laughs> we, we, they, didn't, they didn't, you know, we were too, whatever, ironic for them or disaffected for them. So I, I do think that, you know, these converse, the in, because the industry is now, um, no, you can make money, like it's not a kiss of death. Yeah. That has, you know, uh, you know, Queen Latifah's career, what would Queen Latifah's rap career be like now? versus, yeah. you know, when it was. 20 yeah. years ago, right? And and mm-hmm. what kind of music could she have made? I mean, she's made amazing music, but you know, you, or Debrat, right? It's like these people were pioneers and um, the world wasn't ready for them. Uh, and so in that way, I feel like, yeah, we have to always give respect to people who were doing it in, under much more difficult circumstances um, and really did pave the way and had the conversations and, took the stands and, you know, whatever happened to um, make it possible for someone in their twenties, early twenties, little Nas X to say, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> I just had this big hit <laughs> with Billy Ray Cyrus. And I'm now I'll be like, y'all, I've been hiding all these gay symbols, you know, everything and, 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 and not lose anything really, you know, that publicly that we know of, you know, not lose um, you know, sponsorship and not, you know, gain, right. More. Um, I think he's one of the most followed people like on TikTok or something like that. So, um, it's a, it's a, it's a real different. And every time I walk into my barbershop, Lil Nas X, Lil Nas X starts playing. It's Uh really really crazy. Yeah. No, that's hilarious. Every single time. My friend thinks that it might be like my phone, like, oh you know, yeah communicating communicating, <laughs> communicating communicating with the other robots to the other robots, robots saying like play that gay song play that gay song here <laughs> comes make it feel at home <laughs> i love it the robots love, the algorithm supporting us uh, the algorithm is out there singing the gospel um <laughs> this has been so much fun i think we're yes. at the hour and we have obviously many many more things to talk about but um Let's um, uh, maybe let's leave it there. Um, yes. So uh, again, uh, those in the New York area um, will have an opportunity to come out on May 15th for this conversation with Shante Paradigm Smalls and friends. There will also be a Black Healing Portal and um Afro-Cuban dance and ritual culminating with a performance by Crudex Cabenzi. Um, and there is actually a, um, yeah, like a, like a, like a, um, a, a healing vegan health component to, to the, yes. it's all, yes. it's, yeah, it's all happening and it's, it's happening, all happening. But even if you can't make it then, I'm sure there'll be many more um, uh, launch events um for yes. uh hip hop heresies anything else you want to say before we send things out buy my book hip hop heresies queer aesthetics new york city you can go to nyupress.org right now and pre-order it and you can use the code smalls30-fm and get 30% off and free domestic shipping free shipping in the uh us thank you 
Thank you, Shantae. All right. Thanks to all our listeners. See you next time. Misunderstand with so many struggles at hand. Where do I stand? Come on. Understand. Overstand. Misunderstand. Open mind. Open hands. Do the best that they can. What? Understand. Overstand. Misunderstand with so many struggles at hand. Where do I stand? Come on. Understand. Overstand. Misunderstand. Take your heart in your hands and do the best that you can. Come on. Understand. Overstand. Misunderstand with so many struggles at hand. Where do I stand?